Hey everybody, welcome to the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. We are going to be doing some pretty great stuff this week, uh, specifically because it is that Christmas time of year. And as such, we thought that we should follow along with all the other media outlets in the world and mention some sort of an Adventist-style Yuletide season. Uh, with that in it's mind... the season, uh, Greg. Some, yeah, it is the season, right? It's a, it's a season to get out there and to, to be happy and cheerful and argue about whether or not to put a Christmas tree up in the lobby of your church. That is exactly how I started off every Christmas season uh, in a lot of the different places that I pastored. And here, Greg, I thought I was the only one that had that problem, so... I don't think so. I, I think that there are a large percentage of Adventist pastors out there that know what happens right after Thanksgiving, and that is a good old Christmas beatdown, depending on where you're at anyway. Well, oh, this have month, mercy. Yeah, I know. Have lots of mercy. This month, we are going to dive in a little bit to eh, just to kind of see what Christmas looks like for Adventists. And Michael, you had a great article in the Adventist Review that came out. It's been published in a couple of different venues, I saw. Uh, even got mm -hmm. uh, translated into some other languages there. What can mm -hmm. you tell us about Adventists and Christmas? Yeah, so, you know, having been a missionary and, and lived in a cross-cultural context was was kind of fun. And, you know, in the Philippines, where we were living, where we were based out of, we were teaching at the seminary. So we had like, what, 80 different countries represented there. But living in a cross-cultural setting, what what made it really amusing to me was... Uh, just seeing how much people loved Christmas, something that I considered very cultural to my own background, that people had adopted in a new cross-cultural context and with even more enthusiasm than what I was used to having. So you go to the mall and it'd be the first week of August, Greg, I kid you not, there was ah. Christmas stuff up everywhere. And no. supposedly someone did a study that the Philippines has the longest Christmas holiday season of any place in the world. And so you're going through the mall and you're hearing, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. <laughs> and you're in the mall and this is the Philippines. It's tropical. And yeah. I looked around and I, I asked Heidi one time, my wife said, how many people here do you think have ever actually really seen a snowflake, right? Like a real snow snowflake, not in your yeah. freezer or something, you know, right, right. a bona fide snowflake. Well, probably very few of them. In fact, I had my students would say, uh, hey, Prof, uh, when you go back home, bring us back some snow like like I could <laughs> if only I could. Right. And so uh, being in a different cultural context. And of course, what's interesting, just like you were talking about the, the beatdowns over Christmas, people are having the same debates, same fights uh, that I was used to. I was familiar with uh, from my own pastoral experience back in the States with, you know, is it somehow OK as Adventist, Greg, mm -hmm. to observe Christmas. Is it okay? We're, you know, I, or are we going to all be Scrooges? And, and, and somehow Christmas is pagan and corrupt and mm. it's going to lead you, you know. And, and so that's the context here. And, and that's why I ended up writing this article. The, the review asked me that, this, you know, sometimes you write stuff and you write it and, and hope they publish it because you're interested in the research. This was when they said, hey, we want you to write this piece. This is really important. We need this. And, and that's how this article came about. And you're alluding it's been translated uh, it's already in, in just the last two years, it's been translated into over, I think, a dozen languages. So um, <laughs> nice. there's obviously a lot of interest 
in this topic, not just in the West, but in, in many different cultural contexts. And um, anyway, so that's that's a little bit of context for, for this article itself. Uh, but let's dive in a little bit on the history of Christmas. So the first question, this pivotal question, Greg, is Christmas pagan? That's, that's what I pagan? need to know. Because right? if I'm going to accidentally become a pagan, I need to know where not to step. I need to make sure that the, the holly in my house is, you know, cleansed of the demons or something. Yeah. How, how do you know? And so uh, and so what's really fun is that, you know, um, I've been working with a couple of friends the last uh, four years or so on a Oxford handbook of Seventh-day Adventism, which I'm really excited about. It should be coming out next year. We're basically just about done with it. It's going through the last few peer reviews. Um, and I only mention that because the Oxford Handbook series is really helpful. There's a whole bunch of Oxford Handbooks. And last Christmas, there was a new Oxford Handbook, uh, an Oxford Handbook of Christmas. Check that out, uh, Greg. Yeah. And, and, and now I know it's like 150 boxes. <laughs> Those are... <laughs> They're pretty pricey, so maybe get it on interlibrary loan. (laughs) Yeah, get it on interlibrary loan, or if you're teaching at a university or connected to university, you can usually get the uh, the 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 reference materials, you know, Mm -hmm. digitally somehow. Uh, But but uh, Timothy Larson, who teaches at uh, Wheaton, is the is the main editor, and and basically what he's done is to kind of unpack and a whole bunch of like the top Christmas scholars in the world that are just diving deep um, on all of this history of, of Christmas. Where did it begin from? Now, now here's the, here's the inside scoop. Here's the inside scoop. I, I There's basically this. two, two theories about the origins of Christmas. Okay. Now the first one, first one is January 6th, which we call epiphany or theophany is the baptism or the birth of Christ. Uh, and this idea of um, celebrating that, and and so the church in the East, the Eastern Orthodox Church, tended to to uh, you know start to emphasize that date. Um, the church in the West, the Roman Church, tended to emphasize the date of December twenty five. But both dates began to become pretty popular uh, in the early Christian Church and through the yeah. medieval period. So we see that that developing, and and it's interesting. Uh, so here you have this and. And, and some people prefer the January 6th day because if you go back nine months from that, you have the conception of Christ and, and there's some arguments to be made for possibly for, for that, of course. Uh, but the bottom line is nobody really knows when Christ was born. They just don't. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of speculation. But, but here's the other deal that we know just as much as that is that we don't have a uniform pagan system from which the Christians were drawing from. Wait, wait, there's no. So the pagans weren't doing some festival on December 25 because that's what we always hear. Well, they were doing all kinds of festivals all year long. So I mean, if you look hard enough, pretty much every day of the year, at some point, some pagan festival. But you know, and, and I'm sure if you you know, there's no question that there were obviously a few small groups that were celebrating December 25, but it wasn't a big deal, in other words, right? So the the whole connection between some kind of huge pagan festival and then Christmas um, is just it's lacking any historical substance. Hmm. It's just, you know, and, and so the, the theory starts to fall apart really quick. 
Yeah, and and yeah. this is this is a challenge because some people want to believe it's pagan, but but show me the evidence. Where is the evidence that it's pagan? I mean, I, again, if you look really hard enough, um, you know, I joke around with some of my students, you know, um, and 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 some I'm not wearing one right now, but I often will wear a bow tie. So my students call me the bow tie professor, and <laughs> and and sometimes if if it's a new student, and I just like to kind of play a little joke on them, Greg, mm-hmm. and, and they'll, and, and I'll just in a very serious voice, I'll say, I wear bow ties because, because ties are pagan. And they look at me like, and, and so I'm just messing with their mind, Greg. Okay. And, and then I'm like, well, where <laughs> do you think a tie points to? Where do you think a, a tie points to? It's pointing down. And, and, and then they're like, oh my goodness, you're right. You're right. You know, and, 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 and I said, you know, it's, it's much more, um, it's much better to wear a bow tie and not wear a pagan symbol, which is this tie, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and, and I just play along with them for just a little bit. And then they start, you know, students that know me a little bit better, they realize after a little, <laughs> after a little bit, I'm just completely just messing around with them, having a little fun. And they, they, you, you know, I mean, you got to have a little fun when you teach too sometimes, right? It's a small and, and, yeah, you know, of course, ties aren't a pagan symbol. That's absolutely nonsense. But I mean, if you think about it long enough, you could concoct all kinds of interesting theories if mm-hmm. you just make it up, so to speak, right? And and that's the, the problem here. There's no historical, no credible uh, serious evidence that, that, that ties paganism to, uh, to Christmas. Um, uh, it's just, you know, how do you make that link? And, and so then there's this, the, the other theory that comes back to this whole thing about the Annunciation and, and Christ's birth, uh, and tying those dates together. Again, there's no strong historical evidence. So the two main theories about the origins of Christmas are both dubious. The pagan one is probably more dubious of the two, uh, but neither one is really satisfactory, which means, uh, and and one of the interesting lines of the Oxford Handbook is that the origins of Christmas, uh, the Christmas date, I should say, are shrouded in mystery. Uh, and that that's, that's just, you know... Um, so very early on, Christians wanted to celebrate the birth of Christ uh, and and did so. We don't know exactly why or how that the origins of that have been kind of uh, lost uh, in time. Uh, it would be wonderful if we found out, had some kind of conclusive, definitive document that would, would explain all of this. But right. until we actually find better evidence, uh, at least the, the idea that, you know, Christmas is some pagan um, holiday that that then they they kind of took from the pagans. I, I don't think that is legit and 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 should be. Um, I don't I don't think we should really depend upon that. Let me let me ask real quick. Assuming we did have something that showed the 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 early second third century church replaced a pagan holiday with a Christian one, is that problematic? You know, does does the fact that Christianity converted something from a bad to a good is that inherently a problem? Because yeah, I mean, that's, that's usually the argument question, I hear. Right? If it had a pagan mm-hmm. origin, it must mean bad for us. 
Yeah, so this is like a basic question of of hermeneutics or epistemology. How do we know something's true, right? And mm -hmm. and some people will say, well, if it's not explicitly endorsed in the Bible, then it should be forbidden. And then other people will say, well, if it's not forbidden in the Bible, then it should be, then it's uh, permissible. And so there's got to be some balance between both of those extremes, taking the principle. Uh, but, you know, in Adventism, we, we have a long history of talking about the mark of the beast and the system of paganism and 666 all of that. We like to talk about the um, the Catholic Church, right, as this mm -hmm. system of oppression that that stands against God's people and uh, both historically and at the very end of time. That's part of our eschatology. And some people have kind of taken that to mean, well, then anything that the Catholic Church does is therefore we must be against it. I've even heard Adventists say, well, the Pope's for the environment, so we should be anti-environmentalists, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, if we do everything by what we're against, we're going to go crazy and we're actually not going to be biblically balanced and based in scripture. And so my argument was simply this, Greg, that that we've we we can't we can't do theology by what we're against. We need to know what we're for. So we need to have a biblical worldview and be grounded in scripture and then approach all of life from that framework. And so um, and, and and just one quick example uh, is uh, just along those lines, uh, one quick example is uh, the Trinity. You know, I have some, mm -hmm. some people, well, we, don't, we can't believe in the Trinity because the Catholics believe in the Trinity. Or you can say, well, up. maybe there's different ways to interpret and understand the Trinity, um, even if we use the same term. But, you know, the fact that, that Catholics read the Bible, that they sing hymns, different kinds of things, doesn't mean that all of those things are inherently bad. Now, same thing with pagans. You know, the pagans, I'm sure, did a lot of good things. Um, and we need to make sure that we're not just, I mean, there's the cycles of life, you know, of birth and marriage and death, things that happen to all that are common to all human beings. And we need to be careful. Again, we're not just doing theology by what we're against. Nice. I like that. I like that. So, so from an Adventist perspective, uh, given that we are a church that, like you said, has kind of grown up into identifying uh, the, our biblical stance on most things. A lot of people go and look at this holiday and say, well, Christmas isn't in the Bible uh, per se, or it's a pagan background, whatever. How have Adventists historically approached the holiday? Because they're, you know, kind of growing up right around the time um, that a lot of this Victorian tradition was coming to America. So what have we done with that? Well, well, two things that are really important. First thing is, Greg, and I think you picked up on that, this, this tradition, this Victorian tradition, and you have to go to Queen Victoria. She's the one more than any other person that popularizes Christmas in Europe and, of course, in the United States, too. They, everyone wants to be like Queen Victoria, the Victorian period. And in 1850, there's this, this image that is just circulated everywhere. I love to show this to my students uh, of Queen Victoria with her family with a big Christmas tree. So this becomes epitomized. And the 1850s, 1860s, new traditions begin to develop, like having uh, poinsettia uh, you know, plants, the, the, the pretty red leaves and things mm -hmm. like that. All of those traditions, uh, Father Christmas, Kris Kringle, St. Nicholas, whatever you want to call them, uh, that comes and brings presents. Uh, again, very popularized in the Victorian period. So, so the question is, if I'm hearing you right, Greg, is how did Adventists, who are in a world where the culture is changing and Christmas is becoming the thing, it's mm -hmm. becoming po extremely popular, how did they respond? Right. And my answer to that is very simple, and this may surprise a lot of Adventists. 
but they loved it. <laughs> they loved Christmas. Huh. They loved it. How do you know uh, that? How uh, the, did, you dare, did you hear them say this? His, historical research. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not in a time capsule. I said, I didn't go back, Greg. Uh, <laughs> and we had a few Scrooges back then too. Okay. Sure. But, but for the most part, for the most part, and the earliest evidence or reference that I could find at Christmas, um, other than something that's just passing, but where an Adventist is really talking about the holiday in a meaningful way, right, mm -hmm. is by J.M. Aldridge at the publishing house and has this big uh, note in the review, all in caps and bold, Christmas and New Year's coming exclamation mark, okay? Mm. And, and he adds in that a note to Adventist church members, let the little folks uh, must be remembered on such occasions and fill their stockings with candy, sugar birds, and rubber dogs. Now, Greg, I would love to know what sugar birds and rubber dogs are. I was about to say, what the heck is a rubber dog? I have no idea. I mean, neither. I I, I got to figure <laughs> that one out. And by the way, fill their but stockings it's a kid's with holiday, apparently. Apparently, valuable books and mm -hmm. let them grow. I love that to grow in a love for the truth. So, nice. in other words, let your kids have fun and love them and give them some good stuff to read. And so Christmas is becoming popular and, and early Adventists are, are enjo clearly enjoying Christmas. Um, another example is Marianne Davis, who Ellen White uh, was her, later would become her literary assistant or secretary, helping her with her writings. She wrote a poem in the review. One of the early, again, one of the other earliest references to Christmas titled simply Christmas time. And she writes, Tis Christmas time, gladdest festal time of all the year. Happy songs arise and joy bells chime. Thou dost greet with gifts the friends most dear. <laughs> so again, um, some very festive. Uh, clearly, there's some people that were, uh, you know, Thanksgiving was over and they were ready to enjoy the holiday season. And, but not in August. Uh, That's just too soon. <laughs> not in August. <laughs> we hadn't gotten to the Philippines but, yet. We're still here in America, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, okay. the 1870s, 1880s, uh, more and more references about it. And there's questions about when exactly is the birth of Christ. And mm -hmm. Uriah Smith, the editor, he even says, look, we don't really know. The church in the West is split over December 25, the church in the East, January 7. So they're clearly aware of these same debates that, that uh, you know, we're talking about the latest research uh, in the Oxford Handbook of Christmas, they're aware of those nuances, mm -hmm. those complexities, uh, and um, and and then they dive in on the Christmas tree rig. Ah, uh, here we go. This is the the proverbial lightning rod, right? The Christmas tree. Yep. So surely, you know, what what are we going to do with the Christmas tree? Uh, and 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 there starts to be a, a flurry of articles, and and people are debating this, and the General Conference. Um, uh, actually makes a recommendation uh, that churches provide a Christmas tree and suspend and suspend their on their gifts for the cause. In other words, um, from church headquarters are saying, hey, go ahead and use a Christmas tree and hmm. but use it for a missional purpose. I like that. Yeah, and, okay. and so the Battle Creek congregation, they lead by example with, uh, in fact, the, the note in the review says with alacrity. I like that. Uh, <laughs> and they they post a they, they put up a beautiful tree there in the meeting house with uh, all appropriate exercises for Christmas Eve. Uh, and um, the earliest recorded example of a Christmas service in an Adventist church. Um, and again, Christmas tree there. 
Uh, they sing choice and select hymns and pieces of music. So they gather to worship to use the occasion of Christmas as an opportunity to reflect upon Christ. So they don't see the Christmas trees antithetical to their experience, but they are also trying to be transformative with the culture around them and use it for a missional purpose that mm -hmm. is constructive and advances the mission of the church. So they themselves, I mean, what I'm hearing you kind of say is that the tradition as given through the Victorian uh, influence has mm -hmm. been converted into what these early Adventists felt was a more Christ-centered tradition of Christmas. They took something yeah. and made it better, which is like fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. really, uh, if, if you even do believe in the pagan background of Christmas— that's the same process that you claim the Catholic Church did by taking the pagan holiday and making it Christian. I mean, it sounds like Adventists are practicing the same concept. They are. They're taking the culture around them and they're transforming that culture. So rather than nice. the culture being a threat, where there are compatible values, they're able to use those in a way. And, and, and um, here, just one more example of that same process, Greg. Uh, Ellen White writes a series, uh, an article... Um, so, so, yeah, some people are probably wondering, well, the early Adventist pioneers, maybe they celebrated Christmas, but surely Ellen White, she was a, a Scrooge, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> she, she must not have liked Christmas or, or not celebrated Christmas. And, and actually, that's not true. We know that Ellen White um, apparently enjoyed Christmas as much as any of the other early Adventist pioneers. And she wrote an article titled, I, I like this, Holiday Presents, and she, and she admonishes, admonishes church members how much to, to think carefully, how much money is expended yearly in the making of presents? In other words, um, she's taking Christian values and saying, well, hey, uh, before you spend a huge amount of money on yourselves, think, think about it this for a second. I mean, part of good biblical stewardship, is not just spending tons of money on yourself, right? Um, and think of Jesus, who is our benefactor and our duty, our responsibility to, to give back to God. So Ellen White doesn't say don't give presents, but but give presents in a way that uh, doesn't eclipse our ability to expand the mission of the church. We need nice. to make sure our priorities are straight, benefiting and keeping the mission of the church primary and center in what we do. Uh, but but she doesn't say stop, you know, Christmas presents are evil and don't give yeah. Christmas presents or anything like that. Um, and and you have to remember what's going on in the 1870s. What's going on? Post-Civil uh, post War, Reconstruction. Post-Civil War. Our first missionaries, already, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jane Andrews. I mean, all of our early missionaries. So this is the time of Expanding serious mission expansion. Mm -hmm. so, so, I mean, think about it. Jane Andrews is going hungry and others are going hungry trying to practice self-denial and expand the mission of the church. She's saying, well, don't spend tons of stuff on yourselves when there, we have missionaries going overseas who literally are sacrificing and putting everything on the line. And, and so she's trying to put things in perspective. Um, so yeah, she never, she never forbids presence, but then she also says, well, keep in mind the mission of the church. And so mm -hmm. put God's work first and, uh, and keep Christ. I would say, keep Christ at the center of, of Christmas. In fact, she follows this up and she even gives uh, more examples, you know, don't spend on needless indulgences. In other words, don't waste money and stuff that's not going to be actually helpful or benefit you. In fact, she even lists some recommended presents, you know, uh, good, 
wholesome stories and biographies like uh, on some of the pioneers like Joseph Bates or another time she recommended people buy Dabinet's History of the Reformation, which she, uh, you know, is one of the books she quotes the most in The Great Controversy. Uh, by the way, I always find that interesting, Greg, because if she was plagiarizing just blatantly, wantonly trying to plagiarize from these other authors, you'd think, well, she'd want to keep that it. a secret and not, <laughs> not tell people, well, read the same stuff where I found it from. But she's she's <laughs> right. obviously she wants church members to read this. Hey, uh, this yeah. is this is good stuff. And so uh, this just keeps coming back to this idea. Christmas is an opportunity to share Christ. And as Adventists, we have an opportunity, furthermore, to transform a holiday when other people are thinking about all these different things and use it as, as a means, as an avenue to share Christ with others. So hmm. the transformative power of Christmas. Yeah. So, so what I hear, again, is reprioritize without exclusion and mm -hmm. still maintain a connection to traditions that can be helpful by making them more more Jesus and mission focused. That's, that's fantastic. How, how exactly might you respond? I saw one of the comments in uh, your review article mentioned yeah. that statements from Ellen White uh, that, that promoted Christmas or a Christmas tree was prior to a particular vision where she was shown that Christmas trees are terrible and that ever after that particular vision in the late 1880s, she was anti-Christmas trees and all that stuff. Is that is that what we see here? Did, did Ellen White get it wrong in those statements and, and get corrected later? Yeah, that's that's just not what I see, you know, and I think if you just try to take like a, a proof texting method and look for one strong statement without the historical context, you're going to actually kind of miss out on uh, on that. And so in, in, in that particular instance, and what I even tried to respond to that particular person who uh, was was expressing their concerns is if you read the rest of the context of that paragraph, you'll actually see that that Ellen White's talking about a specific situation. She's trying to, uh, in fact, if anything, she's actually affirming the importance of having a Christmas service in a church, right? So mm. she's she, you know, when she applies these counsels, these principles, at at times, if people are kind of falling out of line and they're becoming you know, they're losing that that Christ in the center of Christmas. She, she of course, will have admonitions and admonish people. Hey, remember, hey, pay attention here kind of thing. So um, the easiest response to that person who had taken out that one strong statement is just read that same statement in its context. And then mm -hmm. suddenly it all makes a lot of sense. Nice, nice. And I, and I think what you're saying with Ellen White is important no matter what topic. You can't just mm -hmm. cherry pick a, a, a quote here and there without making really certain that, that it fits within the flow of the rest of the, the letter she writes. Um, I, that's personally why I've always had such an issue with the compilations. Uh, not to say yeah. it's not okay to you know look up what she has to say on certain topics, but you can't yeah. separate it so far uh, from the actual document she wrote it in to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To, before you start to completely convert the message into something else. Yeah. So, you know, Greg, it's, it's, it's really... Um... Yeah, context makes all the difference, and how we approach inspired writings matters. Hmm. Uh, I was just down in Waco, uh, and we had some relatives visiting for Thanksgiving, and and you know it's it's the time of year, right? And and mm -hmm. spend time with family, and so we wanted to go down there and uh, take care of some family things and see some sights. And of course, I asked my relatives what they wanted to see, and what they wanted to see 
they said, oh, yeah, where's that branch Davidian compound? And, and I, I wasn't even on my radar, Greg, you know, but I thought, well, I got to be a good, good host. And mm -hmm. so, of course, I've been there many times and I will take my relatives who want to see this. And of course, having been a pastor for many years, um, I've, I've run into my fair share of branch Davidians. And, and they're probably one of the best uh, classic examples of taking Ellen White proof texting, but taking these little narrow snippets, half a sentence here, another few words there, another yeah. sentence there. And, and if, if, if you do that, you can jolly well make Ellen White say whatever you want her to say. Yeah. yeah. She's just written so much. And, and so that's why it really matters, not only for Christmas, but just to be faithful, to take inspired writing seriously so that we take those principles and faithfully apply them to our lives. Um, I, I think it's too easy. We like to let ourselves off the hook. We want everything black and white. Christmas is therefore evil. Then just stay away from Christmas completely so you're not corrupted. Mm -hmm. um, and what I find in, in Ellen White and in scripture again and again is these beautiful inspired principles that, that we have to wrestle with. Each of us has to wrestle with individually. You know, Are we keeping Christ at the center of the holiday season of Christmas and not becoming absorbed in ourselves? Uh, and, and, and so... Uh, finding that balance, it's going to look a little bit different, perhaps for for everybody, uh, and and but we have to do it. We we, we have a responsibility, a sacred responsibility. If we take um, inspired writing seriously, uh, then then it's not just cherry picking what we want and, and superimposing our ideas on those inspired writings, but rather being faithful and uh, taking those inspired writings and, and say, hey, help, you know, and praying that prayer, Lord, make me teachable and help me to apply these principles faithfully to my life, to my situation right here and where I live in my cultural context at this particular time and space. And uh, that's never easy. It's sometimes even a little bit messy and it might even look a little bit different for um, an Adventist pastor and teacher in California than uh, a <laughs> pastor teacher in Texas, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. context is everything. Hey, so mm -hmm. we've got, we've got this, this yearly tradition of, of arguing over Christmas trees and churches. What final word would you give folks out there that, you know, are, perhaps are in the, in the throes of these kinds of discussions right now? Yeah, you know, I think uh, being charitable with others, and, and there may be for different reasons, uh, some people that may choose not to celebrate Christmas, and, and that's okay. You know, I, I think, and, and, and for those that do celebrate Christmas, this, this should be a season where it's not divisive, but rather it's constructive and building the body of Christ up. So let's be charitable with one another and embrace the, I think that's really the, you know, the golden rule, the true spirit of Christmas and and serving others and 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 keeping Christ at the center of Christmas, honoring the birth of Christ, looking for those opportunities around us to share Christ with others. There's many people who know about Christmas, but have, you know, they've never actually met and had a personal relationship with Christ. So if you have that opportunity, the best thing to celebrate Christ's birth whenever it would have been, we don't know, is right. to introduce someone to the living Savior. And uh, there's no better Christmas present than that. Nice, nice. Well, Michael, thank you for all your research, uh, for your candid discussion of a hot topic for the year. Uh, I think I think Ellen would be happy with with uh, your your summary there. I think she she would have endorsed that one. 
Well, folks, thanks again for coming in and listening here to us on the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. We are going to be moving ourselves along into this holiday season, and hopefully with a few uh, less arguments over Christmas and Christmas traditions. Um, ultimately, what we want for everybody here as we finish out this first year of our podcast is a happy and a safe holiday. And as we move on into the coming year, uh, be stay tuned in for more episodes, more topics, and some fantastic interviews that we've got lined up for you. The Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast is part of the Adventist History Podcast Network. You can find other podcasts as well as additional content from this podcast by following us on YouTube and Facebook. If you'd like to support this show or others on the Adventist History Podcast Network, please visit patreon.com slash Adventist History Podcast. Enjoy the show.